2 Timothy 3, 14 and 17, we'll read from God's Word. But as for you, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us today to bring your word to your people, that you would use my unclean lips to bring it to the ears of your people so that they would not only know, but to apply your most holy word to every portion of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, first of all, I want to um, thank Pastor Kaiser. He's given me a couple weeks here to talk about something that I think is really important, the Word of God. And we're going to look at it through these next two weeks. The first week, looking at how we can apply that Word to our lives. And next week, a little bit about how we fail in doing that. So I'm going to talk... Start out here by looking at some subjects. I'm going to just throw them out randomly here and see if you can figure out what they have in common. I'll talk about them. The list isn't exhaustive, and perhaps there are some things that apply more to your own life. Some of the ones I thought of were science, uh, maybe a personal religious vision that you've had, government, church, our, our own reason, our intellect, academia, the Bible. It's a pretty varied list that I threw out there. And like I said, you might be able to think of some other things that apply in your life. But one thing that I've found that they all have in common is that people every day out in the world are making decisions based on worldviews that they derive from many of these subjects. Often choosing from among many of them instead of just one because their lives are resting on shifting stand. They haven't even found a spot to lay down and say, this is where I'm going to work from. So they choose from among them haphazardly. In this list, I think one of these, I'm going to just highlight one of them here is science, because I I do believe many people in our society do take science as their ground of all worldview and truth um, in this life. But I'd like to point out one characteristic of a scientific theory, and that is that it must be tentative, correctable and dynamic, allowing for changes as new information is brought in. Now, that's. Less than a uh, hearty endorsement of science as your ground of truth. But that being said, all of the above subjects, but one that I mentioned earlier, have that same fatal flaw. They have the same weaknesses, yet people every day grab those other things to form foundations from which they make decisions that confront them each day. Let's contrast that with the very first communication from God to man. As God spoke to Adam... And from that time forward, he has graciously revealed all that we need for our eternal welfare. Everything that we need. And yet in every age, we manage to supplant that revelation with something that we like a little bit more, for lack of a better word. And I don't think this is surprising because we like to feel a sense of superiority, a sense of control over everything that we do. And we can have a sense of control over science you know, those religious visions, government, all these things we have a sense of control over. And so that's where we look to form our foundation from. But it's not just that we do that to those areas. It's that we then look at the word of God and look to impose our own design, our own control over God's word, as if we can harness or somehow limit that which God is giving to his people, which is all of his words, all of his scripture. Now, if you read the title of the sermon again, it's God's Word, Doctrine, and Truth. And the subtitle is, In an Uncertain Age. Yet the irony of that statement is that only those who are seeking to control their lives by grounding themselves outside the Word of God find uncertainty in their life. And so we, on the other hand, should should have more confidence than these other people. Because we have God's Word in ways unimaginable even a century ago, and which many Christians today still do not share with us. But our access is useless without knowledge and application. 
And that's where we're going on the rest of the sermon today. So as we examine this passage that Paul has written to Timothy, let us remember why the word of God is so valuable, why it is necessary, why it should be treasured, and why it alone, through the power of the Holy Spirit, should guide us in pursuing salvation and in guiding us in our righteousness in every aspect of our lives. Now, before I dive into this passage, I'm sure many of you have already heard this passage before. And so it doesn't come as a shock that I pulled it out to talk about the word of God. But if you we're going to take a quick look throughout the beginning of Paul's letter to Timothy here in Timothy two, and see that he doesn't just jump right in here out of the blue and start talking about the word. But he's giving Timothy commands throughout the remainder of the letter, showing him how he can apply the words in each of our in, in Timothy's lives and how we can apply it in our lives before he gets to the conclusion and summarizes everything for Timothy. Now, I'm going to go through this pretty quickly because there's lots of them to talk about. Later on, I would ask that you just go back and look at the letter and look at all the active words that that Paul gives to Timothy, things he can do in his life, especially as it relates to the word of God. In chapter one, verse 13, Paul tells Timothy to hold fast to the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Skipping ahead to chapter two, verse two, we see Paul write, and the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In chapter two, verse 14 and 15, we see the command to Timothy to remind them of these things. And the things he's talking about are truths about Christ and salvation, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of their hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. All of those commands, exhortations that Paul is giving to Timothy as it concerns the word of God. One more of these here, right before we get into chapter three, Paul commands Timothy to be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition if perhaps God will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And this correction is coming through the word of God as well. And so this is the first point in the letters. We just get prior to chapter three, where Paul is telling Timothy not only how and why he should build his life on God's word, but how he should recognize, recognize and deal with those who have left or have gone to these other subjects as the foundation for their life. And so Paul is setting up for Timothy here a dualistic view of mankind. The difference being how men approach and how they apply the word of God in their lives. Today, we'll look at the man that uses the word of God and applies God's word in his life as the foundation. Next week, we'll look at the opposite view. So now let's turn to our main text in 2 Timothy 3. We'll look at verse 14 here. Paul starts out here. But as for you. Now, this is but is one of those words like Rodney talked about earlier, the therefore you have to look at what is he referencing to. And in this verse and actually this whole chapter in chapter 13, Paul is bouncing back and forth between men who have deviated from the word of God and men who form their life on the foundation of God's word. In verse 13, he talks about evil men and imposters who are growing worse and worse. And then in verse 14, he starts out, but as for you. So Timothy is not like those men, not like those evil men and imposters. But as for you, Timothy, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. So Paul here, while talking to Timothy about his life, he's taking aim at everybody in our congregation here. Whether we sit in positions of authority or in positions of submission to others and how we deal with the word of God. The first thing we see is that Timothy learned something. Continue in the things which you have learned. These are things of doctrine, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But for now, we can say that Timothy already has been taught these things, which keep him away from being like the evil men and the imposters. And we'll get to those things which are in the word of God. Next, we learn that not only has Timothy learned those things, but he has been assured of those same same things. And while assurance does come through the spirit in our walk of salvation, what Paul is teaching to us 
and to Timothy is that the Spirit does work through people and how they convey the message and how they live to their life as to how that message is received and how that message is believed. So we must think about that as we live and do and go through our daily walk, how we are teaching others, how we are living our lives. Now, there's no mistake in here that the assurance that Paul is talking about to Timothy definitely comes from the things that Paul has brought concerning the faith in his life. But it's not just that. He's also referencing the family of Timothy himself. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, Paul references the work, the teaching that had been done in the life of Timothy from his youth, from his grandmother Louise and his mother Eunice. And this is another challenge to ourselves. Grandparents, parents, husbands, friends and elders, are we teaching the things of God? Are we teaching the doctrine of God to those that we have been placed in authority over, whatever, whatever realm that is? Are we reinforcing God's truth in our life by the way we live? And are we providing assurance in the things we do? Or are we not bringing assurance to those under us by failing to live according to that same standard, that same word of God that we say we believe in? Are we more like the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23, 3, who Jesus condemned them because they did not walk according to the things that they were telling the people? Or are we more like the family of Timothy, who had brought him up and raised him in the scriptures? I think one of the things I'm tempted right off the bat to always say, well, I'm doing all these things for my children. I'm bringing them the word as I should according to what God's told me here. And then I read a statistic like this. Um, Many of you have heard of Barna. He does lots of um, studies and polls on the Christian church. And one of the things that struck me is that in polls recently conducted, in households where children did grow up going to church in a strong family life of being ingrained in the Word of God, and the numbers vary depending on which poll. But as these children get into the 20, into their 20s and they leave from under their household and under their parents' faith, anywhere from 50 to upwards of 85% in some of the surveys I've seen abandon their faith. Now, it's a snapshot view, I know, and there's many reasons why. But at least it should cause us to take a look at ourselves and the way we are bringing God's Word to bear in the lives of our children and to see whether we're leaving them unprepared when they leave the home or if we've prepared them like Paul says Luis and Eunice did for Timothy. So now that I've targeted all of us in positions of authority, let's now move down to those in submission to others because Paul is writing this letter to Timothy as one who was under Paul's responsibility. Now for those who consider themselves to be blessed as I'm sure most people do in here to have the spiritual heritage and guidance that Timothy had, then Paul's command to Timothy remains true to you where he tells him to continue in the things that you have learned and been assured of. To continue in those things. Now, I know it sounds simple enough, but being a parent, I can hear the voice of some out there who are like, you know, my parents have taught me a lot of things and I know all of the things that, that they've done wrong and how they haven't lived according to God's word. So I'm pretty sure I'm not under the same assurance that Timothy had because it sounds like Paul felt that Luis and Eunice did a pretty good job of raising him as he should have been raised. So for you that are in that category, I turn back to that same passage in Matthew 23, 3 that I referenced earlier. If you remember that, these people who were under the scribes and the Pharisees who were living a hypocritical life, did Jesus say, well, you're right, they've taught you some wrong things and you should probably just go off and do your own thing. Now, that's, that's not what he said. If you remember back, he said to observe whatever they tell you, despite whatever they do in their walk. So none of us can escape our responsibility. For those in authority, we've seen it is to teach and to assure. And for those in submission, it is to learn and to continue in no matter how others follow the injunctions and the commands that are given to them. Each of us 
will be held accountable as to how we handle the things of God, how we apply the Word of God into our life, no matter what others did or did not do for us at some time in the past. So we move on to verse 15, where Paul doesn't stop here, but he reinforces the same point, giving us specific guidance for parental responsibilities. If we read from verse 15, he says, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And so since Timothy is said to have known the Holy Scriptures, it means he was taught them. And what was he being taught? He was being taught the Holy Scriptures from his youth. I want to turn now, if you all would turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. We're going to look here at a pretty straightforward passage dealing with how we should bring the Word of God to our children, looking at an example from the Old Testament. I'll read Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, and then skip up to 20, and read through 25. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which, which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We skip up to verse 20, and I'll read through the end of the chapter. When your son asks you in times to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day." Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. It's a pretty straightforward and clear passage as to what God requires of parents as regards their children and how we should bring them up. And so I have a few questions for us today. It's pretty straightforward. I'm not going to go into each part, break down the words. I'm just going to ask you some questions to think about. Are we loving God with all of our heart, our soul, and our might? Are we teaching our children diligently the words of God? Are we just teaching our children in a mere academic setting the things of the Word of God? And there is a place for that when we can teach them according to the catechism. But are we also, as we get out into life and experience things and see different things that come up that place us in moral situations, are we telling them how we should handle these things according to the Word of God, or are we coming off something off the top of our head that doesn't go back to what God has said? Are we putting the Word of God at the forefront of everything we do? Or is it something that's more secondary, something we think about after the fact, when we should be coming to His Word first, when we're making those decisions? Have we explained to our children what it means in our life to be delivered from our spiritual Egypt into the land which God has promised us? Have we explained to them what it means to go from a life of sin and now living a life of righteousness in Christ? I think we have the obligation to explain that to them. And children, you are not without responsibility here as well. Are you engaging your parents on questions of eternal things? Or are you merely concerned constantly with frivolous things or things that only impact you on a daily basis. In this passage here, it talks about a child that goes to his parents and asks about deeper spiritual things. And this is not going to be at every age, but as you grow up, if you've grown up and you've been brought up in the Word, these are the questions that you will ask, and you will ask them of your parents. And hopefully we are going to the Word of God when we're explaining them. If we do not both follow and teach God's Word... Is it no surprise that when our children leave our house, they would tend to forsake the Word of God as their foundation 
and instead look to these other things, whether it be science, their friends, television, whatever else is out there to build their worldview from. We shouldn't forget the example. These Israelites that we just talked about here who were given this command straightforward to them, despite these exhortations, despite the promises of what was waiting for them in the land, shortly after that, their children drifted away from where their parents were and they began to live as all the other Canaanites and all the other foreigners that were around them. That quickly, they had left their foundation. But if we are true to God's commands, if we have passed His word onto our children, then these promises that are made known through God's word and that Paul has highlighted here are brought to us. If we read, go back to Second uh, Timothy, and we'll read again from verse 15, where he said, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, and it is these Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And that's the promise right there. If we live on the foundation of God's Word, they will make us wise to salvation through the working of the Holy Spirit. I just want to reference right now the Westminster Confession of Faith, which talks about this in chapter 1, section 1, concerning the Holy Scriptures, where it states, Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of His will, which is necessary of salvation. So we turn then to section 6 for the answer to that question which lies there, the question of, Salvation, where the confession states the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life is either expressly set down in scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from scripture. All things necessary for his glory and for our salvation, faith and life is found in the Scriptures. So having, been looked at, having looked at this confession's view of Scripture, I want to turn now to a portion of Scripture and look at the same thing in action. If we, you would turn with me to Luke 24, 25 to 32. And I've included some other verses on the outline for you to look at later. But right here, setting the stage, this is Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus with the two travelers. Starting in verse 25 of chapter 24. Then Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took the bread, he blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us, I want you to remember that phrase because I'm going to bring it up next week. Did not our hearts burn within us? And why did their hearts burn? Their hearts burn because Jesus was opening the scriptures as it related to himself and his role in salvation. Something these men should have already have known and perhaps even grew up having that knowledge, but not being able to apply it into their life. And so when he opened it up to them, their hearts started to burn. And I think that's the place where we want to be with Scripture. We want our hearts to burn as we read the Word, as it penetrates our heart and moves into all of our lives from there. So you see, it is no small matter when we choose to live our life on a foundation of sand and forsake the Word of God which has been given to us, many of us from childhood. Are we staying true to the words of Paul? Can we say that we hold fast, that we commit, that we remind others, that we rightly divide, that we charge, that we show diligence, that we correct, teach, learn, assure, and continue in? Can we say all of that in our own lives as it relates to the Word of God? I'll leave that 
for you to look at your own self during this following week. But you see, the problem for us in this lifetime is that when the skies are clear and the sun's bright and we're on the beach, it seems a lot more comfortable to be laying on the sand because the sand's nice and warm. And if we lay in the sand, what happens? The sand will conform to us. I mean, that rock over there, eh, the rock wants us to conform to it. So instead, we want to lay in the sand. And, you know, we can even take the sand and we can build something. And it looks really nice to us. But when the storms come and you're being washed down the beach and you turn around to look at that foundation, that building you built, which you built and God did not, it's washed away as well. So both you and your foundation have been taken away. So instead of living on the sand, let us live on the sure foundation, knowing that we have been given all that is necessary. We hold it in our heart, the words of the only true and living God. And it is His Word alone that brings salvation and His Word alone that teaches us to live righteously in this age. Now, as I move into the next portion here where Paul talks about the practical applications of Scripture in our lives, I think we must realize that he never sees salvation as the end of the road. It's not just a means of escaping everlasting torment, but is the way to the new life, the regenerated life, the life Pastor Kaiser has been talking about for about the past month, where we move, we recognize the old man and we put on the new. And so Paul has given us in this upcoming portions of Scripture the practical ways in which Timothy can do this and the ways we, which we can do it as well. Now let's read from 2 Timothy 3, the remaining portions of our scripture today from 16 and 17. Paul writes, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now as I talk about these practical applications, one thing that I I don't want to have happen is they're laid out pretty clearly. There's four things. And I don't want you to see them as if they are four separate things, as if we can do one and not have the others. And that's, I'm going to get into a little bit about why that is, but I want you to see how all of them interact with each other, how you need each one in concert in order for the Word of God to be rightly applied in every aspect of our lives. So Paul starts out here, he says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word all is pretty important here. It's what allows us to know that we don't need to grasp at those other subjects, those other things we want to build a worldview on, because everything in our life that needs to be placed into how we act, how we live, is given in Scripture. We don't need to mix it with the air of the world in order to somehow fulfill what we have to do in our life. So in the first of the practical applications here, Paul tells Timothy that the scriptures are profitable for doctrine. Now, I know that there are many in the congregation who would love to turn a profit in their business or where they're at work. And you would go to great lengths in in terms of the time that you would put in, the effort that you would expend, and even the money, the upfront capital that you would put into in order to have a future potential gain down the road. The question we must ask ourselves is, are we willing to give that same time, that same energy, and those same expenses, if need be, to educate and ingrain the scriptures in ourselves and in our families, which is profitable not just for what we do in this lifetime, but for our eternal state. Now, I promised earlier we'd talk about doctrine a little bit, and now we're getting to it. The doctrine in, in the Greek, it is didaskalia. It has the um, idea of teachings, precepts, instructions, all of these things which are illuminated in the scriptures. Now, I think I want to take just a, a short time here to look at where this doctrine comes from and to whom it's intended. Because there are those in the church today that have a tendency to want to downplay the role of doctrine. Instead, they picture Jesus 
kind of like a lone ranger running around Israel, healing people and throwing out words of wisdom with no connection to anything that had gone on in Revelation prior to that time. And so while, while these people want to associate closely with his life and the things that he did, they lose sight of his place in that ongoing revelation. They minimize his prophetic office, one of his three offices, prophet, priest, and king. As if we could separate the things that Jesus taught from who he was. As if we could separate his doctrine from his life. John seven sixteen through 17 states, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but him who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own terms. You see, as Jesus states, his doctrine was not an invention of himself. It's not the words of a mere moral human. His doctrine was from his father, and he delivered that word as the father had led him. And yet, while that doctrine didn't originate from him, he does state that he was putting forth a doctrine and teachings. And it was a doctrine that was given to him from the Father. They shared in bringing that doctrine to his people. I placed some other verses for you to look at later. I'm just going to reference one of them. In John 12:50, we see here Jesus stating, And I know that his command is everlasting life. The Father's command. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. There is no way that we can separate Jesus from the doctrine, from the teachings, from the ways of life that he brought to his people. And that didn't stop with him. He brought that to his apostles and the apostles brought it to their converts. In Acts 2.42, we see that they, the apostles and the converts, continued steadfastly in the doctrine and fellowship of the apostles. And the same doctrine that was brought to them, Timothy references, in 2 Timothy 3.10, where Paul writes, But you, Timothy, have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, and perseverance. See, Paul realizes that you don't just need one or the other. You don't need to live a holy life or believe in this doctrine, it all works together. And I'm giving you this doctrine and you have followed in it as well as following in my way of life. And so this doctrine, it is the doctrine of life. It's the doctrine of our salvation. It's the doctrine of our sanctification. It's brought to us 2,000 years and a little bit longer after Christ was on earth through an unbroken chain that proceeded from the Godhead through the prophets, the apostles, Christ, and through the church to us today. A unity which is greater than most people ever imagine because they imagine a unity based on where you go to church, how your buildings look, how your worship looks, instead of what you believe. And that's the unity that the Scriptures talk about. A unity in what we believe. So the challenge that I have for you today is to look at yourself and see, are you teaching and instructing according to that which has been faithfully given to us? Or have we abandoned that word by the way in which we practically live out our salvation and our life? Remember, this is a doctrine that has come to us at a great cost throughout history, not only of Christ, but throughout members of the church. Now, I asked you in the beginning to remember how these four things go together. And this is why it is so necessary to see that connection between them. Because as we move into the next application, which is that the Scriptures are capable of offering reproof, if we don't have the foundation, if we don't understand the doctrine, then when you start talking about reproof, which is also conviction through the Holy Spirit, where do you get that understanding of conviction from? Either you have no conviction because you have no standard to go through, or you're using your own standard, your own doctrines, to convict maybe yourself and others. And we don't want to be in that place either. We want the Holy Spirit to convict us through His Word. So that's why it's important for these steps to build on one another. We must understand the doctrine before we can come to right conviction through the Holy Spirit. Now, the preeminent place to examine reproof here is in the book of Proverbs. 
In the modern dictionary, reprove is said to be seen as to condemn, to scold, or to correct. But I think in Scripture, it's more applicable to be seen as conviction because it is the Word, the doctrine of God, working through the Spirit, convicting us. And that's where we see in Proverbs um, where it discusses all of these aspects of not only conviction, but correction. The two go right along with each other. When you're convicted, you are encouraged to then correct that. I'm going to go through real quickly on how the Proverbs distinguish a man who is convicted by the Word of God and one who isn't. And I'll reference these, reference these verses real quickly for you. For the man who rejects the conviction of God's Word, in Proverbs 10:17, that man is said to have gone astray. Proverbs 12:1 says that man is stupid. Proverbs 15:10 says that man who hates that correction will die. On the opposite hand, for those who accept the conviction and the correction of God, Proverbs 13:18 says that man will be honored. 15:5 says that man is prudent. 15:31 and 32 say that man is wise and that man will gain understanding. So we see the comparison there. Where do we want to stand in relation to God's word as it convicts? Do we want to be said to go astray, to be stupid and to be on the path to death? Or do, do we want to be seen as honored, prudent, wise and understanding? If we have taken the time to lay the foundation, to understand the doctrine, the teachings of God, are we then humble and dependent enough on him to allow his word to convict us when we err? We must take that next step, not just understand, but to put it in action in our lives. But as I said, the work of sanctification requires not only that we see where we have erred according to the word of God, but to see what we must do to correct that. And this is where we identify the old man and we put on the new man. Now, like I said, there was a close tie in Proverbs always between conviction and correction. And I don't want to go back over that ground again. So I'll look at a different um, portion of the Old Testament. I'll turn to the prophet Jeremiah, where he points out what happened to the Israelites who had forsaken the correction of God and his word. In Jeremiah 7, 27 and 28, the prophet writes, Therefore you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer you. So you shall say to them, This is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord, their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and been cut off from their mouth. You see, the Israelites had made a decision. Even if they were convicted by the word of God, they had decided as a nation not to accept God's correction. And the outcome was devastating to them. They decided to live in their sin, to reject God's word, and to turn a blind ear to that which he was saying. And as a result, as the verse says, truth has been perished and is cut off from their society. And we know that the truth of God's word was the prophet's mouths were closed and they were left without the word of God. And we would look even more foolish today, having already been given their example, if we rejected the correction of God's word. Lest he take that word away from us and away from our church. Now, the last application that Paul brings forth here is instruction in righteousness. You can see on the outline, I uh, took the word reproof and put it into conviction because it spelled Dominion Covenant Church. And I thought that would be easy to remember. But this is the capstone, the instruction in righteousness. We've laid the doctrine. We've convicted ourselves. We've corrected. We're coming back to God's standard. But instruction in righteousness, the way I look at it is, how is that word of God working its way in every aspect of our lives? Those practical ways. Or are we just treating God's word as an academic thing? And I think that's probably a dangerous point right there when we think we know a lot about God's word but we're not living according to that standard that we say we believe in. And as a side note here, I want to show that not only are Paul's practical applications, these four things applicable as we read the Word of God, but how about other things in our lives? One of the things I thought about was evangelism. 
you read a lot of a lot of styles, a lot of methods of evangelism out there. How do we bring the message of God to those who are lost? Well, Paul, through these four things, has given us a way to do that, a biblical way to bring the word of God to them. You see, the first three applications, doctrine, conviction and correction. These are the things that we want to teach those who are lost, those things of the faith, the things in the inner circle of the graph that Pastor Kaiser puts out uh, about quarterly, about what we believe. These are the groundings of our faith, what brings us all together as a family. But then we want to teach them where we all stand when we are sinners, convicted in the eyes of God. But we also want to show them the gracious Redeemer that we have in Christ Jesus. And those are the first three applications. And they form well with the first part of Jesus' great commission. But then the last part, where we are told to, to instruct these, the, these lost people in the ways uh, to bring God's word to bear in all of their life correlates well to this last application that Paul puts forward here. Our instruction in righteousness. How are we applying what God has taught us in all of our life? Another uh, verse I won't go to right now, but I'd ask you to look at during the week is Proverbs 1, 1 to 8. Look at the importance that God places on instruction and wisdom and understanding there. I'm not going to talk about it right now, but just look at how it is so important to understand the things of God's word so that we are not leaning on our own understanding when we're living our daily life, but trusting on him. Now, in this last part of the sermon here, I'd like to go into a little bit of an extended illustration I can to kind of bring all these four points together. And I'm going to take an example from my other life that I live when I'm not here at church in the Navy. But I want you to see that even though some of the experiences aren't shared in that particular thing, this can apply to any job, any activity, activity that you do in life, because these four practical things apply so well to just our daily lives and things that go on. So the example I'm going to give you is from the world of aviation in the Navy and how we bring a person who decides that they're going to fly and we're going to train them up at some point to be a pilot out on their own flying out over the water somewhere in the world. Now, when they first come into the squadron, they're given a big book. It's about yay thick for most aircraft. I don't know, about 800 pages. Hard to tell. It's divided into sections. And this book, I don't know, rightly or not, is called the Bible for that aircraft. That is your Bible. And why is it called the Bible? Because this is the standard that you live by. And this is the standard that you die by. And unfortunately, maybe some people, even though they're not Christians, understand, at least in their profession, that they will live or die by the things that are in that book. Something we don't rightly apply to God's word, even though the same thing applies to us in that regard. But that being said, they're given this book and they are taught to go through that book and to read everything about the aircraft. And they are quizzed constantly and taught to learn everything that's in there. It teaches you how to fly, teaches you all about your aircraft, what happens in an emergency, and lots of other things. And likewise, in our experience in bringing up our children, this is the same thing we do for them, don't we? We take the Word of God, and we catechize them, and we teach them the doctrines of God. It's the real basics of what we're teaching them. We're not teaching them right now how to go to the moon. We just want to teach them the basics of the faith. And that's what we're doing for these people that come in to fly the aircraft. Now, when they first, they get done with their ground training, and now they get to go out and fly. It's just in the local area. It's like one airport they fly around and around in. And they are told day after day, when you get back from your flight, this is what you did wrong. This is what you did right. And you know what they reference when they write these things down? Everything is referenced to what? That book that they were given. Why? Because when they're convicted, although we don't convict them, we tell them they're wrong. But applying it to the spiritual aspect, when they're convicted of something, we want them to be able to figure out how to correct it. And if I just say, well, that was a pretty lousy you know, maneuver you did right there. Well, that person's not going to know where to go to find out how to do that correctly. Just like as our children are growing up, when we want to tell them they've done something wrong or they sinned against God, it's 
better if we can explain to them from the Scripture where that comes from instead of pulling something out of our head somewhere. I I really think this is wrong. I don't know why, but I'm telling you it's wrong, so don't do it. Well, that might work for a little while until our kids get a little bit older. And that, that saying might not work anymore, the I think that it's wrong. So when we convict, let's convict and bring light and air according to God's Word so that we can find the same correction from that word. And that's what we do in the aviation business. We take them out, we fly them, and these people start gaining experience. And they start flying more and more. They start flying a little bit further away from our home field. The situations get harder and more difficult that they find themselves in. And that's the same thing that happens with our children. They start getting out. They don't spend as much time with us. Maybe they're not doing everything we want. And they start seeing life a little bit for themselves, but they still live under our care and our concern. And so we still can apply that conviction and that correction. Until we come to that point, and for the, in the aviation world, there comes a point where you sit in front of a board and you're grilled all day long by all these people who are a lot older than you, wiser and have flown a lot longer than you have. And they decide finally, they sign a piece of paper and say, you know what, here, you can take that aircraft out on your own and you can go out. But you know what? Don't forget that this is what you fly by. And it is often said, and it's true, that we have warnings in there. And any time there's a warning, that warning was based in the blood of somebody else that went before you. Because if you don't follow those warnings in there, people have died in the past. So we lay that out for them. In the same way, hopefully when, we, when our children go out from underneath our home, when they leave in that period of the 20s perhaps that I talked about earlier with the Barna survey, hopefully we have left them with a foundation and have taught them, you know, where to go to in God's word. How to apply these things in their own life because we're not going to be there to help them. It's their life, them and the Holy Spirit convicting through his word. And we want them to be grounded to that foundation, that scripture. And so now I'll turn from the hypothetical example to a real case. Two pilots from my squadron a few months after I left doing counter drug operations down in South America. Basically, you fly around looking for small, fast boats carrying lots of drugs and they go ahead and uh, follow the boat and eventually they'll be able to stop it with the number of ships and planes that we have. So they're out there flying. They were supposed to fly at 9 o'clock at night. Well, about 5 o'clock that afternoon, they had contact with a small boat. And they started tracking it. Well, as things went, the, the captain of the ship said, I want to get a little bit closer to these guys. So we're going to push back the flight schedule a little bit. Eventually pushing the flight schedule back about seven hours or so. So it was about two in the morning before the crew ahead of them went to go flying. Now, I have to teach you a little bit more here about some of the rules in the book. One of the rules is, is that you must get enough sleep so that When you go flying, you have not been up 12 hours without taking another rest and recharging your batteries before you go flying. There's some strange things that start happening, especially if you fly around 3 or 4 in the morning, that your body's not used to being up at that time. So if you haven't slept properly, then you need to, you know, tell people that, hey, I can't fly. My rules dictate that I cannot go flying. So that's a rule that was in there. Well, you know how it is in life. Our kids get out from under the house and... Oh, there's that shiny, in this example, it's the shiny boat. It's the boat that we want. This is why we're out here. We're out here to capture these guys bringing drugs. And in life, it could be whatever it is, a job, uh, a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is out there that tantalizes us. What does it do? It takes your eyes off of our foundation and it puts it on something else. Now you've decided to live on a worldview of what seems right at the time. That's a pretty dangerous spot to be at, which is why... Grounding ourselves in God's word is so important. And so these guys stayed up. They stayed up to watch what was going on. It was pretty exciting. Things were going on. The crew before them launched at 2 o'clock. We fly about three hours at a time. So about 5 o'clock, still dark, of course. In the morning, this crew had been up about 24 hours by this point. Not 12 hours like they were supposed to. They knew the rules. They had been through the boards. Something we always question about. Anyway, they decided to get into the aircraft. And unfortunately, you know, 45 seconds after they, they launched, 
they crashed in the water, killing not only them, but the uh, their air crewmen that went with them. And I don't, you know, I, don't, I try not to get emotional when I bring up the story because it's not, I don't bring it up to be emotional. But I bring it up because these guys knew, you know, they, in their life, in their experience, they knew what, the, what their standard was. They knew what they had been taught from the very first time they got an aircraft. And it's the same way with our children. It's the same way when we send you out in life. We teach you all that we can. You know, we're going to send you out at some time. You're going to be a solo. You're going to be soloing by yourself out there. And, you know, we, we pray and we hope that God will convict you and keep you grounded on His Word. That you don't turn away to those other things that look so great out there. Because in the short term, they will look great. And in the end, you know, you might get away with it once or twice. But in the end, it's going to catch up with you. And unfortunately for these guys on that night, it caught up with them. And they lost their lives for violating a rule that was written in black and white. And you know, we have God's living word living in us. And as bad as it was for these guys to deviate from that which was written in them, this word is written in our hearts. And when we deviate from that, it's even a more grievous mistake. And we, you know, we grieve our Lord. We grieve the Spirit when we do that. And so... I think as we go out of here, I'd, what I want to conclude with, and I'd written a conclusion there on the bottom there. It's a little, you know, summation. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. What do you believe? How do you live your life? Those are the two things that train us to be a complete Christian. You know, we don't want to mix the things we are taught in God's Word with the air that sits out there in the world. We don't want to refuse the correction that He gives us. Because we know the doctrine. We know that He loves us. He wants good things for us when we're out there. So let's not refuse His correction. Let's not refuse that conviction when He's given it to us. And let's instruct not just ourselves, our families, our church, each other, and all the things of God's Word. So that, so that when we do go out on our own, when we do solo for the first time, that we all come back safely at the end of that trip. And eventually we'll be with a Father in Heaven. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, You're gracious enough to give us Your Word. It is Your Word as much as You spoke it to Adam or as Jesus spoke while He was on earth. And yet, I know sometimes we do not treat it the same way. And every time we minimize your word and when your church disregards that foundation which you have given us, we start down a path that we do not want to go to. So, Father, I pray that you would take these practical examples, allow us not only to learn through your spirit, but to put that word of God to use in all of our lives, that we might be sanctified and made holy in the things which you have given us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.